Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a summertime edition of everybody's favorite uh, podcast. The podcast, of course, that has as many playoff series wins this year as the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's time to do a little stargazing, Taylor. How are you? It was stone cold, and I loved it. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, I'm man, sure other things are going on in hockey right now, but that's the one. We'll we'll go there. <laughs> I mean, like the only thing probably colder would have been Dallas winning the draft lottery when Buffalo had the highest chance of winning it, considering they think we the team stole the cup from them stole in quote air quotations <laughs> um you know depending on your perspective of that particular series back in 1999 but it didn't happen no it, no it, it was a waste of everyone's time wasn't it dallas for all of the they we came into tonight expecting our stars to to draft in the 14 slot based on their record and really sarcastic drum roll here taylor the dallas stars will wind up drafting in the 14th spot. Yeah. There we go. Jim, Jim Knowles' <laughs> reaction, though, was absolutely the best. If you guys haven't seen it um, and didn't see it live, he pretty much did what we probably all want to do when we're, we get on a call that should have been an email. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much time he had to invest. And, in, you know, clearly he had to get himself in front of a camera and he had to get his AirPods set up. And that's not always easy. You know, maybe he had to find his laptop charger. You know, there's just it's as we all know over the past year and a bit. Right. Getting on a conference call at home isn't as simple as just hopping on the phone. So he, he goes through all that work. Bless his heart. It's summer vacation. Right. He's got he's got other things, other priorities going on. Right. Goes through all that work only to wind up exactly where he would have been had he taken no steps and no effort before. So, yeah, definitely feel for the guy. Feel for the guy this evening. I mean, to be fair, actually, so Jim Nill's pretty old school. Uh, one, he does not have AirPods. We learned that when he uh, dramatically pulled his his earphones from, from his ears, um, and they were <laughs> attached. So he is not an AirPod guy. And then also, he went into the Dallas Stars office. And I know this because I have seen that background. Mm. Um, and it is, it is, def and also it's reflective. So you can see the Dallas Stars head of PR in the reflection um, before when they were showing all the GMs at the start of the draft show. Um, you could see him like helping set up the things. So, like, yeah, it wasn't just that Jamil got, you know, in a suit, in a button up shirt. <laughs> Oh, he was, you know, you know, he was wearing workout shorts underneath that, that top. He was pulling the classic. I got my, my shorts on, but I'm going to throw a button down on and stay in the, stay close cropped in the camera frame and make you think I'm formal. You know, he was doing that. Jim Nill doesn't really strike me as that type. I'm, go oh, I'm not going to lie. Jim Nill strikes me as the, the khaki shorts, flip flops, black short, black socks kind of, of cat once summertime rolls around. I mean, I could definitely see him wearing the like track pants, you know, that go mm. with the matching uh, uh, zip zip up that's like stars branded. That I've <laughs> definitely seen him in that. I, like, I could see him wearing that on bottom, but I I've never seen the man in shorts, even during like the most like relaxed 
state of the stars and you know like prospect development camp and stuff never seen the man in shorts i just i don't know i don't i don't, I don't trust it he's old school well, there we go, Stars Nation. The gauntlet has been thrown down. Taylor has put a bounty on pictures of Jim Nill in shorts. <laughs> Bring it. I, I mean, mean, he has. You know, I'm sure he owns a pair of shorts. Capacity. I'm sure he does. Um, I'm sure he wears them when he golfs and things like that. But, you know, the man, when he's working, he's working, you know? Um, but, yeah, so, so the Dallas Stars did nothing. And actually, to be fair to Dallas, literally nobody did anything. Yeah. The draft order basically ended up being practically the exact same as the odds other than Seattle and Anaheim switching places. So Seattle drafts second and Anaheim will draft third, but Buffalo retains the first overall pick, you know, and they'll probably, uh, I don't know, draft somebody who demands a trade in like three years because Buffalo is terrible. I mean, wouldn't you? We're going to start, you know, if teams tank to get number one picks, are we going to start seeing prospects maybe take it easy? Talk about, oh, I got this trick hip. I don't know, man. I'm a, I can't score a goal this week. You know, we're going to we're going to start seeing some jockeying for position to maybe nudge down. I mean, think of think about it this way. What has there ever been a year? I guess the Vegas draft potential, but has there ever been a year when, when being the second player taken was so significantly superior to being the first overall pick? And yeah, sure, these guys are competitive. Man, they'll go into it. No, you know that across that prospect pool, everybody's kind of looking at each other sideways thinking, what can I do to take myself down just, just one step, just one step to wind up in Seattle instead of Buffalo? You know, I mean, I'm just waiting for the next, like, Chris Pronger to come out and basically be like, nope. <laughs> I do not want to get drafted by this team. I refuse. It's just I mean, such a, a non-NHL so thing. The world would lose its mind. The, the hockey world would lose its mind. We're, we are in just programmed to not accept that. Okay, but wouldn't the drama of that happening this summer like just kind of help sell the league a little bit more? It's kind of, you know, everybody keeps talking about how NHL being back on ESPN on their next uh, deal is going to turn them into like the TNT-style NBA playoffs and how great that's been for the NBA and the growth of the league. I'm just saying. See, Taylor, the, the problem is your premise is flawed. And as a league, the NHL has no interest in growing its profile in a meaningful way. They're perfectly happy with their their niche status and their their you know being able to tout record growth while being dominated by their supposed peers. Like they're they're okay. They they're a league that has no aspirations beyond being a, a marginally better version of what they already are. So, you know, I they're just not I'm just I'm just not here for that. They're they're fine. They 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 view this situation as fine and will continue to be fine. I mean, I guess I'm nothing salty. nothing <laughs> nothing says grow the game like uh, having your draft lottery than the night of two playoff games versus you know I don't know the day before when there was only one game. <laughs> like the like the NHL would not know a good schedule if it punched them in the face. Seriously. No, you have you have meaningless regular school and, and tonight's draft. Thank goodness we got rid of those Calgary Vancouver regular season games that absolutely had to happen for the integrity of the draft. Lottery. If we haven't played those games, Taylor, who knows 
what mischief might have gotten up to at tonight's momentous drawing. Really, the only thing I want to know is since they don't actually show like the winning combination of numbers being drawn, which honestly, if that if you really wanted to make it exciting, you should publish the combinations that teams uh, qualify for and just like have the numbers picked live on air. Let's go. Yeah, dude. Like, let's roll. I want but again like, old school. Like uh, there was like a game show. I don't remember the name of that used to have like the ping pong balls that came up and Plinko, right? It's the game from. Like oh, that. oh no 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 the um oh this Price is Right no not okay. Price is Right it's um no whammies it's a uh, wait it's not it's not pressure lock is it? I like I said I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old, but I'm not that old. I think it was like maybe a little bit before my time. But I kind of vaguely recall that as a kid. Somebody, if y'all know it, please let us know in the comments because I'm at a loss. But there used to be a game where you would see like the numbers come up and and it was like drama and dr big dramatic music and all that kind of stuff. And like, I just think, you know, it would be so much fun to know a, how close you came, how close your team came, because yeah. like for Dallas, are you, are you one number off? Are you twin? You know, did you, did you blank go over eight? Right. So like for Dallas, for example, one of their combinations for this year that would have won them the, one of the first two picks was two, three, eight, and 13. Well, what if it had gone two, three, 13, and then seven popped up and you missed it by like one? I mean, or here's a, here Here's a crazy idea. Why do it all on one night if you're drawing multiple ping pong balls? We got a whole round of the playoffs going. What if that's part of the gimmick? And every every night during postseason coverage, we we draw another ball and we get about a week's worth of drama where the tension gradually ramps up. Because taking your example, right? Let's say in this theoretical scenario, Dallas is, you know, they're they're one lottery ball away from whether or not they're gonna stay 14th or move up to number one. And fans are biting their nails, and and instead of it all happening in the moment, what if, what if we have to tune in to you know Thursdays or Fridays Vegas, you know Vegas Colorado game to find out where our beloved stars are going to land in the ping pong ball? I mean, yeah, let's just let's just make like the top fifteen picks just all draft lottery. Let's go. Yep. I, as as saying, Jamie Alexiak once said, "Let's f and go." Let's f and go, <laughs> and, and also. The other thing I'm really curious about was this year, uh, Arizona had to forfeit their first pit round pick because of uh, some. They were not uh, even yes. Yeah, they they were not they were not good, and and so the principal gave them their punishment. And so I'm curious to know how this draft would have gone down. Like, did Arizona's numbers get called because oh my they God. did it Why not they? in front of the cameras? Like we don't know until like somebody like uh, Friedman or or you know Bob McKinsey comes out and tells us like yeah it did happen. Um, but like I want to know if Arizona would have won overall, and then like because they were not good, uh -huh. they had to give up that draft pick, and like what a kick in the crotch to those fans. Oh, that would have been amazing. <laughs> but again, but like drama, but like show us. But like I want to see it. But this is a league that has no interest in being entertaining. And so none of these things will ever happen. There's just no point in beating ourselves up about it. It's uh, it's just a shame. There's so much more interesting things that could happen. It's, and, and especially this, this time of year, it always gets a little bit obnoxious because you have the, the glorious spectacle of the NHL playoffs, which are fantastic. And then you watch the coverage of the NFL draft. 
And you just, it's such a stark reminder of, of what it looks like. And I know to some degree, it's obviously apples and oranges to compare the NFL to the NHL. But the one piece where I do think it is worth making a comparison, it's, it is a very, very drastic difference looking at a league that is conscious of, of the fact that it is entertainment and it, and it, and it, it builds itself and runs itself towards this ultimate goal of entertainment and the success that that's brought. And then the other league that runs itself the old fashioned way, right. And, and, and is, you know, wants to, to be true to its past, whatever that means. And, and winds up again, just, just seeing those two presentations side by side. It's, it's a very, as a, as a hockey fan, it's a very frustrating thing. You know, what else is frustrating? What is frustrating? Seth Jones in Columbus. (laughs) Oh, Seth Jones apparently is frustrated, but you know, wouldn't, wouldn't you be frustrated playing in Columbus Taylor? I mean, I don't know. From everything I hear, the city's kind of underrated. Uh, I haven't personally had an opportunity to spend any time there. The few times I've been have been for business, so it's like an in and out, and I've seen the airport, which I try very hard not to judge people on their airports. Otherwise, Charlotte, North Carolina would be on my shit list for, like, here until eternity Um, because I got stuck there once, and I had to, like, I had to like sleep on the airport floor. It was bad. It was just bad yeah. news. That's um, terrible. Yeah, it's, just, it's just not great. It was because of a mechanical thing. And they all like, by the time I got in, I was telling the last flight out to Dallas that left at like 10 PM local time. And there were like no hotel rooms left for them to put me up. And they were just basically like, sorry, but we'll put you in first class on the six thirty in the morning flight that you now get to take the next day. So basically cool. the travel experience you describe is sort of like Seth Jones's perspective on remaining a Columbus blue jacket. Yeah. A little bit. Good analogy, Taylor. Look at me go. Um, go. yeah. No. Hashtag. <laughs> Hashtag bless. Um, yeah, no, so, yeah, so poor, poor Seth Jones, you know, he basically informed the Columbus Blue Jacket management that he's not interested in signing an extension with them and wants to explore free agency when his deal is done, which actually isn't for another year. But knowing that you're going to lose an asset for free, obviously any general manager worth their, worth their salt is going to try to find some assets uh, in return. And the common belief around the league seems to be that Seth Jones will be on the move prior or around the NHL draft. Well, that'd be the time to make the move, right? That's when teams are shaping, especially with the flat cap. That's when you're, that seems to be the traditional time of year when NHL teams sit down and really try and figure themselves out. And, you know, you know, you could also maybe acquire a piece that you then expose in the draft the next, you know, this the expansion yeah. draft that's happening a couple weeks later. Um, so, I mean, there's some definite things of interest uh, that make that timing make sense. But one thing that I saw was an article by Matt Larkin at the Hockey News that basically said um, that he believes that Dallas would be an ideal match. For Seth Jones and I went record scratching, excuse me. <laughs> um, and essentially his premise was that because Dallas is unlikely to be able to fit John Klingberg's extension in, as well as Miro Haskinen's extension, 
given the flat cap for what is now being reported until like the 24, 25 seasons. Yeah. I've I've heard five years. Three to five years. (laughs) It's not great. Um, Not not good, Bob. Not good, Bob. Uh, But (laughs) you know, if that's the case, then uh, they could just do a one for one flip, just send Klingberg to Columbus and Seth Jones back to Dallas in return. And I just have to say, that's uh, asinine. That is the dumbest trade idea. No offense to Matt Larkin. You're cool. Um, But I I don't see it from a hockey perspective. Well, the the premise of that is, okay, so you're going to be able to re-sign Seth Jones for less than John Klingberg is going to demand? Like, Right? (laughs) I mean, even if you, even under the most pessimistic circuit, so even if you say, okay, secretly, privately, Right behind the scenes, John Klingberg is saying, and there's no indication this has happened, but even if we think behind the scenes, he's he's saying, no, I absolutely am not going to stick around. You know, he's kind of given the team that heads up. Right. So even in a situation where, you know, Klingberg is gone, part of that is motivated by finances, which doesn't get any better. I mean, yeah, like why? That's just you're just like swapping unresolvable problems at that point. And from a hockey perspective, uh, even if you were like, okay, well, that frees up, it actually doesn't help Dallas in the, in terms of the salary cap. Seth Jones makes more than John Klingberg. Yeah, Klingberg's on that sweet deal. <laughs> people forget how great John Klingberg's uh, initial deal, probably one of the best things that Jim Null's ever done as a GM, was signing Klingberg to that contract. But So it doesn't help Dallas in the short term in terms of the salary cap. So that's one problem. But then also just based on the skill sets of the of these two different defenders like you would basically be uh trading away one of your biggest assets for something that is a giant question mark because Seth Jones did not have a good season this year Ew. offensively or defensively and granted playing in a more structured defensive system that does make defenders look really well here in Dallas with better goaltending arguably I mean, Elvis Merz-Lickens is pretty good, but like... Yeah, and I, w- I also wonder I mean, with Jones, and, and I'm no B Columbus Blue Jacket expert, but I, I wonder how much Wierenski's injury had an impact, right? And, and you know, Seth Jones went from having a very high-end, reliable partner to having to prop up a pretty suspect unit, right? And so maybe that had a factor that, you know, obviously look at Dallas's depth chart, even in this weird scenario where they ship out Klingberg, he's going to have better talent around him. And also forwards too. Like Dallas arguably has a better, better good forward group than Columbus does, especially with whatever train wreck that is up there in Columbus, which honestly, I'm going to take a second here. I feel bad for Columbus fans. I I don't know how y'all do it. (laughs) And Hearing that another star uh, is looking to get out, I mean, I don't know what that management team has decided to do or what direction they're trying they're trying to take by saving money and not, you know, Somebody, you, giving you know, contracts to homegrown prospects. But it get, those things get around, and guys, you know, I've I've never really heard that players don't necessarily hate the city. It's guys, more the there's organization a dude that, that is renowned for cracking rats in the locker room. So that's that's one of it. There's smelly guy. No, I've I've you know I I know nothing 
obviously, but the the kind of pervasive rumor right now is that Columbus is a team that likes to play hardball with, in particular, the restricted free agents. They they use the leverage that they have during the contract process, and the again hearsay and, and unsubstantiated, but it seems to fit the theme is, especially with these higher end players, is that Columbus is a team that that really tries to draw blood from a stone during those restricted years when they can dictate terms. And the consequence of that is once you get to, you know, the glimmer of free agency, you've got a lot of guys that aren't necessarily in a position where they're going to do that management group too many favors. Right. And there's something to be said for, you know, the, you know, thinking about the life of a professional athlete, right. Especially in the NHL where you're looking at a flat cap, like these guys, you only get so many, you know, you only get so many runs at unrestricted free agency, right. You, you kind of want to make your bag and fair or unfair, right. Columbus has a reputation as an organization that they're not the place that's going to get you paid. I didn't realize I was talking to John Snow today. <laughs> you know, nothing. Um, yeah, no, I agree. And so, I just, to me, from the hockey perspective, you know, you're trading away your top power play quarterback, your one of your best offensive weapons on your back end, and a guy that kind of seems to, you know, basically be the straw that stirs the drink here in Dallas, especially given special teams. And and I just don't know if Seth, like Seth Jones maybe could sort of, but, replace but the, some of that, but then maybe you open up Miro and give him a larger role, and so maybe you can make up the pro- productivity that you would lose in that case. But like, I just don't see the upside for Dallas in tra- in, in trading Klingberg just for to pay Seth Jones. Seth Jones. It's like, you know, it's it's one of those situations, right? The the upside is, and I, and so for disclaimer, I agree with you. John Klingberg is fantastic, and he's also uniquely fantastic for the Dallas Stars. I would argue that his value as a Dallas Star is higher than it would be in a lot of other places because of the way that this roster is constructed versus his unique skill set. Dallas does not have another player that offers them what John Klingberg does. Um, I then, but flipping that, playing devil's advocate, I think the gamble that you make in this scenario is that Harley is closer perhaps than we're giving credit. And and what you're effectively saying is I can get what I, you know, I can get more than John Klingberg by adding Seth Jones and Thomas Harley to this group. And it's not necessarily that, that one for even in a, even in a situation where it is a one for one trade at the NHL level, it's not actually one for one because you're factoring in the contributions of the kid, uh, the kid in Cedar park. But here's the thing is, if you did decide that, if the Dallas Stars organization said, you know what, John Klingberg, we're probably not going to be able to to give you what you want. Um, you are definitely worth, you know, whatever you're going to get on the free agency market. And we want to give you that opportunity. So we're going to look for a new home for you this offseason to set you up for that. There would be suitors yeah. around the block for his services at the cap hit that he has currently for a one-year run at the Cup, if you're, say, I don't know, maybe the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> they could um, use them. How'd, the, so, how'd their power play turn out in the postseason? So, like, I look at that and I say, John Klingberg is a much more valuable asset on the trade market than Seth Jones. No, like, no disrespect to him, but given all of the factors around John Klingberg, like, if Dallas wanted to trade him or needed to trade him, given everything... 
I don't see how they wouldn't be able to go out and get a much better deal than a Seth Jones in return one for one. Oh, I agree um, completely. There's, it's even, indefensible. <laughs> it's it, like if if Jim Nell ever pulled that trade, I mean, just fire him immediately because you have not used the asset to your best advantage for the Dallas Stars organization. And also, man, like don't do John Klingberg dirty like that. Like. <laughs> At least send him to a place where he maybe can, you know, feel out a long-term home if you have to. But, like, I'm also still not convinced, like, everybody seems sold on that they're not going to be able to fit Miro and John Klingberg oh, under got the, the cap. Oh, they've got That's absurd. So, so I just, I just, I, I disagree with the premise of the entire trade discussion at all. And I get the, I get the appeal. Seth Jones was born here in Dallas. Well, that's it, right? Oh, he's got, he grew up in Texas, therefore he must be. Homeboy, whatever. But here's the other thing. It's not like he's a product of Texas hockey. I mean, he's not like that. He went, he, he, he moved at 13 and he played his arguably formative years that turned him into an NHL prospect, not in Texas. So like, to me, it's kind of a loose connection at best. Well, I would I would take it one step further and, and say, OK, even if there's also no sense in doing this, if you're the Columbus Blue Jackets, because presumably the reason Dallas would make this trade is they're not confident re-signing John Klingberg. Well, OK, so if Dallas isn't confident of re-signing John Klingberg, that suggests that he's going to want money as a free agent. Well, OK, well, Columbus, if they were going to splurge on a free agent defenseman, they might just go after the one they've already got who's younger, right? I mean, we can argue about the season he just had and maybe they're, you know, whatever. But like, even from Columbus's perspective, trading, flipping Seth Jones for John Klingberg doesn't meaningfully change their scenario, right? They've got an older player who's just as unrestricted, right? <laughs> and is is going to demand money that they're probably not willing or interested in paying because it's not like, you know, looking at where Columbus is as a roster and a team right now, John Klingberg's not going to be a part of the next great Columbus Blue Jackets squad. So it's, it's just, it's a nonsense trade on both sides like neither team gets anything of value in a a one-for-one Klingberg Jones swap unless you know Seth Jones is secretly yearning to get back home and is willing to take a a Dallas Dallas discount right or unless that you know Jim Nill has some piece of analytics or information that says hey last season was a fluke and if you put Seth Jones into the same unit as Miro Haskin and magic will happen like there's maybe but like I don't know. It doesn't. There are there are deals though. Let's and let's let's break that out. Let's spend a couple minutes talking about. It. So, let's now we we've thoroughly debunked the notion that Klingberg for Jones is is a trade that any rational human being would have any interest in. Let's just just parsing him out as a player. Take the finances out of it for a split second. Would you would you add Seth Jones to this roster if you had the opportunity to do so? Yes, but here and here's why. I'm going to try to find a tweet because I actually engaged with Matt Larkin about this very thing. Um, and I basically said, now, I could see, I said no uh, to Klingberg for such owners. But then I said, now, if you were talking maybe East Lindell plus some assets to Columbus in return for such owners, I could see that being a hockey trade that makes sense from the Dallas perspective. Now, whether Columbus wants an Issa Lindell 
undetermined. I think if John Tortorella was still there, that seems like a guy that absolutely fits a John Tortorella-style system. Um, and also, we all know that Lindell is valued by hockeymen more hockey than the analytics. The, yeah. So, I mean, um, he's got contract certainty. He's, he's and, locked in. And so, so Matt responded back to me. He's like, even though Lindell plays on the left side and both Kleinberg and Johns are righties in 2022 UFAs. And I said, yeah, because I think if you traded away Lindell, you could open up a spot to actually slide Miro back over to his strong side. He should really be playing on the other side. Um, the, the and notion then notion that Miro is having to be the, the notion that the team isn't putting Miro in his preferred position is insane, but please go on. Yeah. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> we will get into one day. Here, we've got a third overall pick generational talent. Let's play him on his offside. How about, <laughs> but then you can, you know, like then, you know, and I also think, I feel like, you know, with Miro having more experience now, I know initially they tried him with John Klingberg and it looked like a just disaster on the ice. But I think that, I think the two of them now are having work on the power play a little bit more. I think that that pairing could potentially work. And then you could slot Jones in and then you have Thomas Harley. So now you have a really nice rounded looking unit. And then you re-sign Alexiak and then you got Hamley who's, you know, defensively responsible enough. And like, I don't know, that could be a pretty decent blue line. Am I crazy? No, I mean, especially like there's something to be said again. If 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 you have 200 hockey men in charge of of the Blue Jackets, you could say, okay, you have a, you have a cost controlled asset. You have a cost controlled asset that can play. You know, you can put him next to a guy like Wawrinski, right? And and Lindell slides into that. I'm going to facilitate you having adventures up the ice, right? So you could you could talk yourself into he's he is someone that can play on a top pairing. You know, he's someone that can kill penalties, right? He plays a lot of the muck in the dirt. He's not going to cost you what Seth Jones is going to cost you. And I think more importantly for a team like Columbus is if if you're good, Lindell will contribute, right? If you're bad, he's not going to be the guy that knocks you out of the, the those the the big time lottery odds. Like like you know, sometimes when you're a team that's perhaps nearing the end of a competitive cycle, right? And looking at a rebuild, there's there's some risk to acquiring assets because what if a guy, what if the guy you trade goes off and all of a sudden you're finishing, you know, 14th overall in the draft instead of, you know, third or fourth or second or first, right? So there's something to be said for Lindell is one of those guys that's going to be helpful, but not too helpful unless you're good, in which case he'll be quite helpful. Yeah. Which sounds like I'm throwing shade, and I guess I am. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to to take a torch to anybody, but it just sort of speaks to the role of Lindell-like players on hockey teams, I guess. And then, like, I think you know, and in that scenario, if Jones turns it around, then you could, in theory, let Kleinberg walk, and then you still have Miro and Jones now, and Thomas Harley coming up and you still have a pretty mobile back back end. Um, and that makes the loss of Klingberg a little bit easier to absorb. So it gives, it would give Dallas like an opportunity to maybe try that out for a year and see how that all goes. And so I asked our, our friends over at um, the Cannon who cover the Columbus Blue Jackets. What, 
what exactly is Columbus looking for? Because I look at their team and I can't tell what they're trying to do or where they're at or what their identity is anymore. Like, I I don't even know. Um, They need a lot of help. Um, And so, um, so he said he, they would be looking for a young center, either on an ELC or still developing who could be NHL ready in a year or so and probably a first-round pick. So his example that he gave me was like a new hook and a first from Colorado for Jones with Columbus retaining like 50% of his salary. And so I was like, okay, so looking at the Dallas Stars, you know, who maybe there is an opportunity there, but like would you want to send a Riley Damiani and a 2022 first-round pick for Seth Jones? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. It's a, it, you're, you're, a year ago, I would have said slam dunk yes, right? Yeah. Because Seth Jones was coming off of that, that playoff run, you know, throwing down big minutes, like, you know, but you're getting into territory of how much does this weird COVID season matter and, you know, performance curves and environment and fit and all of the, you know, all of a sudden there are questions and you get to, is, is he a good player? And I think that's the, it's, it's a gamble, but if you're a team like the Dallas stars, we just talked about, you know, windows, which I know is a dumb term and, you know, whatever, but like, he's a guy that can prop it open for a couple more years. Right. I mean, think about if, if, even if he doesn't hit the highs that have been projected, even if he just pans out as pretty good, like you can, you can look at a defensive unit built around, you know, Mira Haskinen and Seth Jones and presumably a guy like Klingberg or, or, you know, Harley or, you know, whatever. Right. But you can construct a a pretty elite unit around those two guys. In theory. But the thing I would worry about with Seth Jones is he's actually been trending down for about three seasons in a row. Um, He obviously fell off of extreme cliffs this year. And I kind of look at Columbus and I say, whoo. Well, they didn't lots do so of, lots great. Of guys fell it off was that really cliff. not bad. It was really not good. Um, a lot of guys fell off the cliff. Um, he does seem like a guy that maybe you could get the team to like kind of sell low on, and maybe you could turn him around. But also, what if he tr- turns into like Drew Doughty on his next contract, where yep. he's signed for like years and years at a ca- high cap hit and is like really not good? Well, that's. That's the other bit, right? And one of the things, you know, we've we've talked a couple of times about this untrue notion that Dallas does not have the ability to re-sign John Klingberg. They absolutely do. And, you know, you said that the Klingberg contract is Jim Nill's finest moment as GM. He's got a couple. I would actually counter just the Dallas Stars salary cap is Jim Nill's finest crowning achievements as GM of the Dallas Stars because he has been able to consistently dole out big money and stagger it in a way that they've they've always had the resources they need when they need them to go after another piece or re-up somebody already on the roster. And the Klingberg and Mir and Haskin extensions are no different. If you look at the way, you know, when when the guys like Como, Cogliano, Pavelski, even Radulov, if you look at the the cadence of deals, in particular the cadence of expensive deals, Dallas has the ability to do whatever they want. If they don't re-sign John Klingberg, it's going to be because, you know, a couple reasons, right? It's going to be because John Klingberg wants to leave. It's going to be because Dallas decides John Klingberg wants too much money, right? It's going to be a it's going to be a decision 
that they're making, not not one that is forced upon them. If that makes sense, Miro can Miro can take whatever Miro deserves, and there's going to be enough to to give John Klingberg whatever John Klingberg deserves, if the stars want to give it to him and if he wants to take it. Okay, but hear me out. You you left off a scenario here. Okay. You forgot the part where Toronto's going to send Mitch Marner to Dallas <laughs> in return for John Klingberg. I would. You know what? I just finished putting the guy up on a major pedestal, but I would I would do that in a flipping heartbeat. Mitch, so, <laughs> Mitch Marner is going to be the he he is going to we are going to be reading art if if Toronto is stupid enough to cut bait we're going to be reading articles about how he magically found himself or he you know rejuvenated his career or he finally it clicked in insert your stupid sports cliche here he's. It's it. Oh my God! I hope that they're dumb enough to do it. I oh please, and it doesn't have to be Dallas. I just I hope that the Maple Leafs are dumb enough to send Marner somewhere for you know pennies on the dollar. So I say this because uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs <laughs> epically failed in the playoffs again. Um, uh, they leafed it up big time, <laughs> and they haven't won a playoff round in like fourteen years. Which I mean, when you think about like. It's pretty true what Stephen A. Smith said, that uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs are the Dallas Cowboys of the NHL. They are the Dallas Cowboys of Canada. And, yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty much. Um, and so one of the interesting quotes to come out of their end-of-season me- media availability was essentially their GM and president saying, the issue wasn't in the depth that we had. It's in the core. And so... You're not going to be trading Austin Matthews. You would be a complete idiot if you did that. Um, And then you're not going to probably trade William Nylander because he's been pretty good too. He was Um, their best player, best forward this postseason. And yeah, he showed up in the postseason. And the one interesting thing about um, Mitch Marner that always comes up is uh, something about his dad being super difficult, which I I would have to look into more. And also just like it's Toronto. So like what? Um, That could also be just like total life. Um, But also uh, the fact that he hasn't shown up in a couple of playoff series for the Leafs now. So the one thing I find interesting with Marner is his absolute garbage shooting percentage in the playoffs which reminds me of a Dallas huh. Stars player, the huh. very own Tyler Sagan. Yeah. And he had a similar issue, and Boston sold on him and said, he doesn't fit us, so bye bye And I would argue that maybe Boston probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah, no, it's, it's a... It's a, a very good comparable. It's it's something where he's got, you know, it's 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 the classic NHL problem, right? This is a a skilled offensive player in a league that that expects their skilled offensive players to also be two hundred eighty foot warrior. What in whatever? It's bullshit, right? It's it's a league that doesn't understand the value of goals relative to the value of grit. And so players like Matthews and even players like Sagan, when they do hit those slump, those slumps, when they do have down shooting percentage and Sagan's had a couple, right? The, the year, the year of the goalpost, right? Like those players tend to get, I mean, just think about the level of criticism that, that Mitch Marner gets for, and you know, I'm going to pull up his, 
his stats right now, right? Like think about the level of criticism that he gets in a year, you know, truncated year with a good team where he had 67 points in 55 games, right? 20, 20 goals, 47 assists. I, I should hope that when I have a, a bad stretch that it's rel- it's it's that quality relative, right? But we're going to talk about how a guy like that is, you know, we're, we're going to break him down and, and analyze all the holes in his game and fixate on the things that he can't do and conveniently forget the fact that he had 67 points in 55 games and how many guys in the NHL <laughs> can do that. And then flip side of the coin, and I, and I say this with a dagger in my heart because I love the guy, we're going to cut Radic Fox a season's worth of slack for not doing the one thing that he is supposedly, you know, for his defensive game kind of collapsing and falling apart. Right. And as, and as a league, the NHL is Faxa gets, gets kind of swept under the rug. Marner gets, gets hyper criticized. And we're talking about how, how they might trade him. And it's, it's insane. Okay. Well, some of that's just dictated by, how much each are getting paid. Radic Fox is not getting paid nearly to the same degree as a Mitch Marner. When you're making $10 million, I think it's very fair for people to hyper-criticize your performance in the postseason, especially given that, you know, um, you're supposed to perform. But actually, actually, if you wanted to get super technical, NHL players are only paid for regular season games. (laughs) I, and I like I I so don't. So he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He performed in the regular season. I and I guess my my counterpoint would be this: he was fourth in the league in scoring this year. And what happened the season after Tampa Bay lost to Columbus in that horrible, crazy upset series when Tampa Bay didn't blow things up? How did it work out for the Bulls? Worked out like, pretty good. S- sample sample size is a is a real killer. In, in an NHL where parity is a major, major piece. And, and you can argue with the idea that, that maybe, you know, constructing your roster around a handful of hyper-talented forwards and relying on them to get the job done leaves vulnerabilities. But, like, the Islanders have vulnerabilities, too. Right. They don't have they don't have a lot of scoring. Right. They're, they've you know, last year they eventually ran out of kind of ran out of runway against the Tampa Bay Lightning or, you know, team like Pittsburgh doesn't have a goaltender. Right. Jerry goes cold and they're toast. So it, it's just one of those like nobody in this league, unless you're <laughs> unless you're the the Tampa Bay Lightning spending 20 million dollars over the salary cap. Right. Everybody in this league has a hole. And you're just kind of the NHL is about. The NHL's the, the successful teams, like, look at who's left in the playoffs, right? Look who's having success. All of those teams are built around, even Dallas was built around this concept of do one thing well and hope that you get the breaks, that the one thing you do well continues to work enough to show you success. Yeah. I mean, which is, is a long wind of saying, a long winded way of saying Toronto is probably smart enough to not overreact and trade Marner, but if they are stupid enough to overreact and trade Marner, somebody else is going to benefit because here's the other, the other fun one. And, and again, we're talking hyper upper echelon of, of the salary cap world, right? So this isn't, it's not like he's going to be cheap, but Marner had a pretty severely front loaded deal. So he's due this season. He's due 15 million next season. It drops to 10. It's eight in the seasons after that. So again, if I'm if I'm a team that's not Toronto, 
I have the opportunity to in in a in a flat cap world, right? I have the opportunity to nab a guy that has a, sorry in a, in a flat revenue world, more like it. I have an opportunity to nab the NHL's fourth most you know fourth highest scorer on a deal that's going to have more of a cap hit than an actual financial outlay. And for a lot of these teams, that's probably pretty digestible. Yeah. For I sure. mean, if, if I you mean, could pay Mitch Marner eight million actual dollars to play hockey for your hockey team, you'd be there. There'd be a line around the block. There's no no team in the world would turn that down. For sure, I don't think they're stupid enough to do it. But like you said, I think if they are, and if they were to come sniffing around Dallas and say, "Hey, what's it going to take to get John Klingberg? Because we need him to, you know, get rid of our bugaboo about the first round next year." That's where I would start. I'd be like Mitch Marner. So we you should really we should as Stars that? Nation we should start uh, we should start tweeting gifts of John Klingberg eliminating the Nashville Predators to uh, to everyone we know in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> Look, here's a guy that can score in a playoff overtime. <laughs> Isn't that? Are you looking for this? <laughs> what would you say if I? What would you say if I told you your team could score in overtime? <laughs> what if I told you that we know guys that can actually close that around for <gasps> you? Been so, there. Play that would be the dream. That would be, that would be the kind of transformative move that, you know, you'd, you'd clear that, that would, that would probably screw up the salary cap structure and that's why it's not going to happen. They're not going to want to trade him anyways. And Dallas would have to take, an uncharacteristically big swing. And yeah, that's, that's the deal that even if it didn't cost him the asset in the trade, which it would, it would, that would cost them a, a Klingberg or somebody. Cause then you are getting into position where you, you can have, you know, Dallas can probably fit two more big deals under their current structure. They sure, sure. Shoot. And can't do three. Okay. Okay. But hear me out. Joe Pavelski on his last year and John Klingberg on his last year. To go chase a cup in Toronto for Mitch Marner. I mean, if I'm the Dallas Stars, I do that deal. I whistle. I whistle all the way to the bank on that one. <laughs> but again, you know, there's not a whole lot on this roster that I wouldn't flip for I don't that. Know. Yeah, yeah, Just, sure. Uh, maybe Miro. Miro might be the only untouchable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> that's the level you're getting to. I, I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't do Ottinger either. But that's more because. You know, because what, then what is the future of the Dallas Stars goaltending in like two years? Yeah, mm-hmm. no, not two years. What is the future next year? We are Last we are year. all as fan baits awfully comfortable with the status of Ben Bishop's lower body is all I'm saying. <laughs> Speaking of podcast topics for another day, we're we're just all smiling and assuming that that situation is just going to work itself right out. <laughs> yeah. So, OK, so two untouchables. But I mean, outside of that. I mean, I mean, listen, as long honestly, as like, yeah, is this Toronto, is this, Toronto calls Jim Nell. If I'm Jim Nell, I'm answering the phone and I'm, and I'm hearing them out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, but again, we get to the, this, the, the crux of the, the situation, any, any team in the league has taken that phone call and you just have to, any other team in the league is hoping that Toronto's dumb enough to make that phone call. True. true. But all of which is to say, Nothing interesting is really happening at this exact second for the Dallas Stars, but there are signs that interesting things could happen, which considering where we are in the calendar with the NHL, that's that's not a bad place to be. We'll we'll be back 
over the course of the summer. We're going to talk about prospects. We're going to start prognosticating on, on what the roster is going to look like heading into next season and what the, the Dallas stars redemption tour is, is really going to look like. But, um, you know, at least it's interesting for now to have, to have some name drops and, and to pop up in some flashy rumors. For sure. And to me, I mean, that just speaks volumes in terms of the profile that Jim Nill has been able to build for Dallas in the larger hockey world um, that, you know, Dallas is even in the conversation pieces of a Seth Jones style trade, even if I think it was the dumbest trade idea on the planet. But, you know, like it, it says something. Um, and so who knows, maybe maybe Jim Nill can take some of that uh that reputation and, and go shopping this summer and, and get Dallas back into the playoffs next year. We'll just have to wait and see because there's a draft coming up and lots of moves made usually around then. And then you've got some free agency and you've got a expansion draft and it's, it's going to be a wild ride. So just uh, keep tuning in and. It is going to be. And thank you for joining us, Taylor and KT, as always, thank you for, for mixing this all into some kind of coherent, um, setting and really just editing out the 45-minute profanity-laced tirade that Taylor went on about halfway through the podcast. It's, I'm, I'm glad that that you know we're the only two people that have to sit through that. So, as always, um, thank you, and we will be back. Uh, I guess we'll be back whenever we're back. We'll see.